Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Hello, welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric Morgard over there. Hey, hello. I'm Kelly Young, and today we're going to be talking about all sorts of kind of cool shit. I wanted to, if you don't mind, tell you a little story. It's not about a man named Jeb, is it? Not this time. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, you know, we were we just had Crypticon. We wound down from that, and I should probably preface this with: I have a bit of insomnia. I have mm-hmm. a bit of anxiety. Um, most of my anxiety comes in the form of lying in bed and going, um, "Hey." Remember in third grade when you called that chick fat <laughs> and you felt so shitty about it? And she cried and everything and you didn't really even think she was fat. You actually had a crush on her, but you didn't know how to talk to her. Right. And then I'll just fucking lie awake like that. So <laughs> that's how my anxiety usually manifests. But uh, a good friend of mine then handed me a little edible <laughs> to help sleep. Really? <laughs> And, and that's legal in our state, and so there's nothing really bad or big deal about that. But he knows that I have trouble sleeping, and he said, hey, why don't you take half of this before bed, and you know it'll help, help you wind down, all this stuff. So I did that, and then that night, I woke up in the middle of the night with my heart just racing, pounding out of my chest. <laughs> and uh, I was like, what the fuck is going on? And the, uh, for the rest of the night... I would fall asleep and then I would wake up with my heart racing. This happened like four times over the night. Does not sound fun. No, no, it was really scary. So um, I then called up my buddy and I said, what the fuck was in that shit? And uh, he's like, geez, I've never had any kind of reaction like that to <laughs> this. You must have had. Maybe you're allergic to it. Not the first time I've done edibles or anything like that. So I thought, well, okay, <laughs> can't do this again. Well, the next night, same thing. Woke up with my heart racing, and I was just scared out of my mind. I'm like, what is going on here? And, and it would slowly slow down, and then I would fall back asleep. Uh, this happened all week. On uh, Wednesday morning, I had decided, well, okay, I'm going to do what we should never do, and I went onto the internet to find out oh, why shit. I was having this. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but the, uh, the initial response that comes up is, um, hey, this is a very classic symptom of anxiety. Do you have anxiety, perchance? And I was like, well, I... I do have anxiety, (laughs) but it's never hit me like this. So uh, it also said, hey, are you drinking a lot? Because if you drink a lot before bed, this is a common occurrence. Energy drinks in your life, which there (laughs) are because I don't drink coffee or anything. I usually start the day off with an energy drink and and sometimes more than one during the day. And so I decided, yeah, so I decided, okay, uh, I have been drinking a lot. It was Crypticon. I have had energy drinks in my life. And so I've cut all of that stuff out. But, but Thursday, Friday, it was still happening. And I was like, God, what is going on here? Well, finally, uh, it, it stopped happening. Although let's see last night, nothing the night before I did have one little section where I I woke up like that. But I think that I'm just having these crazy, like maybe mini nightmares that are waking me up and I'm just, you know, a little scared for a minute because the heart races and then it, and then it slows down, goes back to normal. Nothing I read on the internet said anything like, you know, get to a doctor immediately or going to have a heart attack or anything like that. But I just thought it was very interesting that all of this kicked off right after Crypticon, which was Admittedly, a three-day weekend of a lot of booze. So, um, so now as that has slowed down and everything, I'm I'm willing to give this edible thing a another shot and see if I have the same reaction to it or no reaction to it, uh, or if it actually works for me. But it's been a it's been a wild week of very little sleep. <laughs> well, that sounds like a extreme version of con crud that's for sure jesus yeah never happened to me at all i'm just saying this now putting it on the record in case i drop dead you get all my toys (laughs) oh Oh, all right thanks (laughs) that's a much bigger statement than a lot of you probably understand (laughs) how you feeling man good everything cool (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) great yeah we're careful we're going to turn into that well i've been taking this medication because my knee hurts well you know i'm i'm a little scared because next month i turn 41 
Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. So there's there's that going on. But I've been doing a lot of uh, reading and watching TV and good, stuff good. like that. How about you? There, I guess there's the, if you really want to be weird, there's the plus side of insomnia. Yeah. Um, before we dive into what we normally dive into, I wanted to talk about a podcast that I've been listening to a lot. A lot of our listeners, like us, are filmmakers. And I think there's one that they should really check out called the Film Sense Podcast by Frank Woodward. Uh And I had asked you if you knew Frank and you were kind of like, I think I know him on Facebook, but I think you actually did hang with him and I and Andrew Migliori at Crypticon several Uh, years back. That's right. Yes. That's where I know him from. Yeah. Back then, all I knew him from was he was the uh, writer director of that excellent documentary, Lovecraft, Fear of the Unknown. Oh, yeah. But since then, he started up um, the, well, he didn't start up, but he helped run the Lovecraft Film Festival down in San Pedro for the mm-hmm. couple of years that it was down there. And I got to hang with him there and get to know him pretty well. And then he started up this really cool Film Sense podcast. And he talks to all these people who are in the industry right now, directors, writers, uh, most interesting producers, reps, and stuff like that, wow. who are down at the American film market and uh, Berlin film market. And he basically asks them stuff that you and I and other filmmakers probably want to know and need yeah. to know. It's really a cool podcast. And I was like, God, how does Frank have this kind of pull? And so I decided to actually check him up on IMDb lately. <laughs> And the guy's got like 300 credits. Oh, jeez. And he's worked on everything, <laughs> oh. including doing some of the photography for Reservoir Dogs, shit cool. like that. Yeah, he's been all over so the he's place. he's been around for, uh, doing it for a while. Too. Yeah, you know, all the way up to uh, that really cool Japanese um, documentary, Men in Suits. Oh, with, yeah. So he did that, and he was the writer of Wrong Turn 6. And, four. Uh, I thought it was four. Uh, it looked is at six? A, yeah, it's on okay. Wrong Turn 6, I think. But yeah, just a really cool podcast, very informative, and I think you should check it out. It's also, he's got a lovely, sonorous voice, and so if you're having trouble sleeping, it's a good one to put on. He's so fascinating, but he just puts me right to sleep. <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you, That's where your dreams were. He's t- you were listening to that as a podcast, and he said something about, it's probably the problem with independent filmmaking right now, bam, you wake up, that's shit. I was like, what? What's wrong with independent filmmaking? Well, you know, for a lot of people, everybody who's, I think, having trouble sleeping has the same thing. I can't turn my brain off. And that's what the edibles help or the the little pot pens or whatever is supposed to kind of dull your brain a bit so you can fall asleep. But it's the same thing for me listening to TV or something like that. Just something where I'm not thinking about my own problems Uh and listening to something else. That keeps my mind distracted. That allows me to fall asleep. Oh, wild. Today, on a very special Strange Answer Radio. <laughs> You're listening to the Insomnia Podcast. Hey, all right. What about you? Reading, writing, Reading, writing? Oh, man. A oh, couple of buddies who've been on the cast before, uh, John and uh, Matt, or excuse me, Steve and Matt, convinced me to finally go see Defy Wrestling here in Seattle. I saw the pictures. <laughs> Holy shit. I, I'd say I'm a passive wrestling fan. I went through a period in the attitude area where i really liked you know the rock and stone cold and mankind and all that kind of stuff you took me famously or infamously to a uh, wrestlemania (laughs) down at safeco field yeah that was fun but i haven't paid much attention to it the last few years and they're like well this is all local guys this is all crazy stuff you're not going to believe it go down there and it's this old uh community center room holds probably about 300 people okay packed absolutely packed they sell standing room only tickets you know which is a good chunk of the crowd was standing room only around the edges and stuff like that they put on a hell of a show man it's a full-sized ring it's got good bounce in it so the slams sound really almost my ears going this is like rock concert loud at times (laughs) where they're wham 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 jumping off the turnstiles and the the team obviously really knows what they're doing because every once in a while you'll see the security guys go all right people kind of move people around Uh to the sides and then here goes a wrestler over the ring right Uh towards that area the standing for they had to stand in line and then getting there for four some odd hours after walking around non-stop through crypticon doing the festivals like so i left unfortunately i left a little early but steve was saying the last round had flame 
thrower guys throwing flames and all this stuff. Wow, in a little community center. Oh man, they do full on you know, grab the guy all the way up so they're standing straight and then slam them down on the ground and running into each other. They had uh, at least I think at least like four luchador style wrestlers. Oh man, I'm I'm disappointed because I got the invite for this too and I was like, ah, this really isn't my thing. But it sounds like it would absolutely be my thing. It's so much fun. And they do it. They do other things right where you walk in and a whole bunch of wrestlers are at this signing booth where they're signing things before the area and a few of them once their match is over a lot of them you see come back out and will sit behind their tables and still do stuff or they'll come out in between matches and just sort of hang around the ring so you can go up and talk to them if you want to and uh, that's neat a uh, guy john who's a not not john that was on the podcast but a guy who i've known through crypticon for a long time was there having the one of the luchagor guys slap him like they do in the ring the big loud slap on the chest it's like ow and that and he was like right here when he had it done it's like wow holy shit um so i just gotta say these guys def- and they travel around the world they're apparently their champion wasn't there that night because he was in uh, great britain doing something Wow, okay. And uh, they're getting quite the reputation. I don't know if Seattle's truly their home, but they sure seem to have do a lot here. And they popped up here. I know they do a lot in Portland, too. But, uh, man, if you're in the area and you see them, you like wrestling at all, come check it out because they put on a hell of a show. Wow, okay. I think that I'll have to check this out the next time it happens. The tough guy coming out to the song New Kids on the Block, Hanging Tough. <laughs> And playing it up like he actually thinks it's a macho, tough song was impressive. <laughs> wow. Okay. So he's in on the joke, I'm guessing. Uh, well, the actor or the wrestler is. I don't know if the character he's playing is. Aha, okay. <laughs> the, oh, and even the uh, refs get into Valve. The biggest crowd reaction on the whole thing, they have two refs. One the crowd hates, one the crowd loves. <laughs> and the one the crowd loves got taken out with a kick by one of the things and that was the biggest reaction the whole night <laughs> like kick the ref the whole crowd goes no it stands up it's like holy shit so, that's amazing they 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 really put on a show Jeez, and so, the tickets as i recall were very affordable well they're some they're for what you get the re- the standing room only are 40 oh okay um i mean they're they're not cheap but they're not obnoxious right when i was looking at it first i'm like the vip tickets like you know, 100 120 i was like oh but then you get there and you go okay i can see why the first row of balcony seats are the first ones to sell out uh, uh-huh. <laughs> i'd say it's reasonably priced i don't know if i'd say it's cheap but it's reasonably priced you know you can pretty much count on matt and steve because they only do cool stuff whenever they're doing stuff it's you know live music or this kind of thing or the various uh, <laughs> yeah. plays and stuff like that so it's it's like you know yeah when they endorse something i should probably start listening <laughs> yeah they're pretty good at that i think i think matt the other few days ago i was asked him how many concerts he thinks he sees a month or a week and i almost got the impression he thought i was making fun of him it's like i think it's freaking awesome that you make that much time and effort to see so much shit i mean i just maybe if i lived in downtown seattle i'd or the Seattle area or Tacoma anymore, I'd be more inclined, but it's just far enough away, kind of like where you are too. It's just like, okay, half an hour drive, 40 minute drive back at one o'clock in the morning when I'm done. (laughs) Well, and also speaking of my anxiety and stuff like that, you know, like conventions, that's Mm. about all I can handle for a while. I don't like walking in huge groups of people and having people bump into my shoulders and stuff like that. So if that's the kind of, place it's probably something i should stay away from one more thing about defy <laughs> i'm standing there and steve like elbows me in the show's like yeah what isn't that vanessa vanessa williams was there <laughs> <laughs> she never saw me when i was there i was standing there kind of waving and stuff like that but she just didn't look over that way but uh, i was able to verify later on that yes that was her <laughs> that's amazing well i haven't been uh doing anything that fun lately <laughs> but reading wise I yes. picked up a couple months ago the uh, Comixology sale was that 70s Marvel stuff and I started oh, reading geez. Jack Kirby's The Eternals and oh, fuck that is some wild wacky 70s drug shit man it is crazy <laughs> and I saw somewhere it is heavily 
rumored that The Eternals is somewhere on this next list of Marvel movies. And I'm like, how are they going to do this? This is insane unless unless this is something where all the heroes have to band up against at the very end because the Eternals, you know, the Celestials that come down are these mammoth giants that judge humanity. It's a really... It's a really groovy chariots of the gods kind of story. You know, it's very 70s, but I, I have no idea how they could possibly fit this into the modern Marvel Cinematic Universe. Do the Eternals mix into the Marvel? Because I never read, I'm familiar with them, but I've never read them. Do they mix with like the heroes of that? time i don't think that you could write this comic right now because so far i'm about 12 issues into it and it clearly takes place in the marvel universe but all of these worldwide events are happening and there are zero superheroes involved in it it is just the eternals the deviants and then the celestials the the deviants are the enemies of the eternals it's just like wow this they make reference to the thing so far from the fantastic four and stuff like that but i'm like well where the fuck are the fantastic four while New York is burning. Especially in Center, they were generally the Galactus-level yes. attack force whenever the giant things came. That was Fantastic Four. Yeah, so it's, it'll be interesting as I continue on this journey to see how <laughs> they try and uh, integrate all of this stuff into the Marvel comics of the 70s. Of course, back then, you know, this shit would happen and the only person affected by it was whoever comic you were reading. So if yeah, some, something was happening bad in, in downtown New York, Daredevil and Iron Fist were taking care of it. But you're like, I think the Fantastic Four could show up and clean this up really quick. <laughs> well, yeah, the uh, crossover stuff really didn't happen real strong until the 80s. With, or the 90s even, yeah. yeah. Well, you had a... Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, that was probably 90s, but wasn't the Marvel... Let's see, Crisis was, I think, 86 or 87, right? Because I think yeah. I was still in high school when that yeah, was definitely happening. definitely the 80s or whenever. What I mean, the... uh, grade school. Yeah, that's right. What was the Marvel one that where Spider-Man got his new... Oh, Secret Wars. Secret Wars. Yeah, that, was, that was, yeah, that was the 80s. That was yeah. first really gigantic one that I know of, at least. Yeah, good point. Not really great on rereading. <laughs> no. <laughs> that does not hold up. No. It's like a note I made. What the hell does this mean? Oh, okay. I know what this means. <laughs> Rating right now, I'm back on a... Sorry, man. I just couldn't get in Talisman. I tried. Oh, it's oh. one I read. I tried when it first came out. Read about 100 and some odd pages. Going, oh, I don't know. I thought, well, I'll give it a try again. I don't, maybe there's something with Straub and King mixing that's just like, eh, I'm good. Yeah. But because I still like King. I haven't read anything by Peter Straub in years, though. Yeah. So I went to, I was going through my ebooks, going, what haven't I read? <laughs> oh, look, you can now uh, or order in Kindle, you can now put your books in order by what you've read and haven't read. Right. So it's just smart edition. <laughs> so I realized um, Blake Crouch. Yeah. An author I really like. I had his novel Dark Matter, which I'd never read. So I said, oh, well, I'll read that. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, it starts off, and it is it is so good. And then uh, the storyline changes, and it becomes kind of a, well, we need to figure out how to do this and figure out how to do that. And I'm like, going, figure it out faster. <laughs> it's like, this is a pretty good, when it's really good, it's really good. I think maybe a novella might have been a better choice than a full novel for this, but um, yeah, still pretty good. Uh, boy, somebody will correct me, I'm sure. But I think Blake is one of those guys who's got like three different pen names and he writes horror, mystery, yeah. and like action or something like that. And he pumps out literally a book a month or something. Yeah, he's got it ton of stuff i've read a ton of things under his under the name blake but right i think you're right i think he's got other stuff that's not because the blake stuff tends to be more science fictiony horror yeah sort of stuff yeah he's definitely written he's right he's, he's one of those guys that 10 years ago when the uh when the kindles were taking off and all of that stuff he had figured out the way to really take advantage of that and started making a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, because he put out uh, a lot of the stuff I read from him was, you know, the early, it was you know, 99 cents, $1.99, yeah. and it'd be a 200-page kind of thing. It wouldn't be necessarily a full novel. Good enough and plenty well worth reading that I had no problem right. paying that. So, yeah, he's definitely one of the uh, 
first guys in line to really actually figure out how to make that stuff work. Yeah, he also did, um, he and F. Paul Wilson and a couple other guys did one of my very favorite vampire books. It's oh, called yeah. Dracula's, mm-hmm. and it was a round robin where each of them would take a chapter, and they didn't really even know where it was all going, and they had to follow <laughs> the next writer and everything. And it was, It's a, such a fun, yes. silly book. That's a really fun one. I like that I can't believe that hasn't been made into a movie yet. Yeah, no kidding. Well, you know, HBO may be floundering around here for a little while after Game of Thrones ends. Who knows what they might pick up and <laughs> make into something. Yeah, well, we'll see. They've got uh, Watchmen coming up. Yeah, which the looks trailer. pretty damn good. It did look pretty cool, didn't yeah. it? <laughs> so I, I, a lot of people are talking about it, but what I have heard is that it, it, it takes place after the events of the Watchmen series. Oh, okay. So interesting. You, you see that uh, Rorschach isn't there, but there's like a cult yeah. based around him and yes. stuff like that. So I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm all in on this. This looks cool to me. Yeah, give it a shot. I mean, they did the prequel kind of thing where they published the comics, where they told right. the stories of how they became but they never really they haven't done a post one that I've, I'm aware of at least I think that they have integrated them into the DC universe now oh, so wow. okay. there, there is something I can't remember what it's called Doomsday Clock or something like that and they, <laughs> it's been around yeah. for like three years and there's eight issues out so they come out very irregularly but I've heard nothing but good stuff about it I just don't read the current comics anymore yeah. the maybe the um DC Universe. Well, we've tried to be dark, dark, and dark. Let's just go as dark as we freaking can and be done with it. <laughs> Batman and the Owl fighting crime together. <laughs> right. Uh, well, shooting up into television, yeah. if you don't mind, uh, I decided to catch the last couple episodes of Supernatural. Did you? No, I've got like, I have 14 episodes. <laughs> wow. I have almost the entire season to watch. Well, the cool thing about Supernatural, I don't know if this is for all the CW shows, but as soon as that final episode runs, the entire season then is available on Netflix. Oh, cool. Like it used to be a day. few months. It used to be a few yeah. months. And oh, that's good. That's a good policy change. It's the next day. So I was oh, able cool. to um, start catching up on it. And this was, of course, the season finale. I mean, the series finale. Oh, the series is the, the series, series is got done. canceled. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. So they ended it, and it was a really strong final episode. Cool. And the ending is, I think, the only satisfying way that this show could end. Nice. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that they'd canceled the show, so yeah, yeah. I'll definitely have to finish watching. That's why I kind of sat there. Oh well, I'll watch it. Then when I'll, you know, we'll watch it throughout the summer, and by the time it's done, the new one will start up. Oh, no, it won't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, good to know. <laughs> yeah. You watching any TV? Uh, the Supergirl's rounding up with the uh, Russian clone Supergirl, which is headed towards something interesting. Okay. Uh, Arrow, uh, which has really sort of been, well, I'm still watching it, so I'll keep watching it, ended very strongly. Oh, did it? Okay. And definitely looks like they're setting up for his final season. I mean, the last episode could have been a, se- a series wrap-up, the, oh. the way they structured it. They wrapped up most of the characters on Arrow, and they're just plucking him out to go to crisis and it almost looks like the next season will be largely his story of crisis on infinite earths the next season of what arrow i thought that this was the end of arrow no he's got one more season oh he does okay like a short season though my guess is that he's going to run until the crossover episodes they do Ah. in december but it it doesn't look like i don't know how many characters from arrow are actually going to be in the series from now on because it sure wrapped up with i forgot the guy's name but the the all-powerful guy who starts the crisis and the monitor yeah showing up and now's now's time oh you must go all right i gotta i gotta click into this i did love that comic book when it came out so if if you really aren't interested just watch the last episode okay I mean, there's stuff leading up to it, but most of it is just the whining crap of my dad was mean to me stuff that's yeah, yeah. so prevalent in some of the DC stories. Like, eh, get some psychological help, maybe get on some medication instead of killing 45 people. <laughs> I'd really like to see them. It's not like I watch The Flash or any of the other shows, to be honest, anymore, but yeah. I'd really like to see them port Felicity and Diggle over to Flash or something like that because I love those yeah. two characters. They do a lot of crossovers there so i could and those two would generally be are the characters that pop up the most in flash so right that's possible i just want to see them continuing to work yeah so yeah not a lot just because uh the stuff i watch with my wife or something that i like on gray's anatomy <laughs> yeah yeah we're not going but there <laughs> did you check out that uh that new batwoman trailer 
uh, I've only seen the teaser one on that they've been running on the the station. Like oh, zoom in on and right. turn around. She looks at the camera. No, you gotta you gotta check out the full thing. Oh, it, it looks pretty fucking cool. I gotta oh, say, good. I'm I'm kind of looking forward okay, to this. Is this one. gonna be like Arrow's time slot or something? Is that? What I'm guessing that that's what's gonna happen. Remember, they introduced her in that other mm-hmm. crossover, and they made her on a different planet or uh, dimension. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, ah, well, how are we gonna integrate her into the rest of them again? Is it gonna be like Supergirl where she doesn't? get to they just come get her when they really really need her <laughs> yeah because really it'd be great if she was in the same universe as supergirl so we could have a, a world's finest kind of oh, man, regular cool. crossover going on that'd be fun they have twice now i think in friends made super friends references they actually <laughs> use that term a couple times they're like what god that's, that's cool <laughs> that's funny well uh the other thing that i have caught up on and i think it might have already had its finale um what we do in the shadows did you bother i haven't but i will i'm it's, gonna I, everything i'm hearing it sounds like it the first one was by far and away the weakest of the season <laughs> yeah it, and i and i wouldn't even call it weak it was just softly chuckling you know yeah. and i think that's kind of what the series is about you're not really going to be having big belly laughs right. on this series but there was some really nice stuff that happened in the last couple episodes there was a really great thing in the episode before the finale and i i did not see this coming and i absolutely <laughs> loved it oh well okay there's one more i thought thought of we don't talk about a lot because you don't watch uh, game of thrones and thank you for not constantly updating your facebook video i don't watch any of it the game of thrones no in I fact I, I since i'm not a <laughs> big fan of it i just love everybody who whines about it everybody who whines about the people who whine about it and i just i suck it all in like a a psychic vampire (laughs) i heard you know everybody's losing their freaking mind over the last one whatever no character no it's all there anyways moving on but what i as far as instead of going into all that stuff i did read a really interesting article about why people might be perceiving previous episode previous seasons differently than now and that's the style of writing that's being done where most of the time forgot the technical terms for it but i'm guessing stephen king writes this way i know george r R. martin writes this way where it's more of a let's just here's the people let's see where they take me right as opposed to outlining and having a definite destination that you're going to hit and you need to figure out how you're going to hit that destination well apparently that although they're still working off of Martin's notes, more or less. His involvement changed to the point where where the series before was being written a little bit more closely to, let's take these characters and see where they go. They figured out what they want the end to be, and this last season and a half or so have been writing to reach that end. Uh-huh. So that's altered the style of the way the shows put together which is why some people probably feel it's really rushed it just feels different i don't know if that's true or not but that is a really interesting way to figure out why some people are having such a strange reaction to this season and really makes sense right and let's not also discount that those writers their next project is the next star wars yeah and so they might have other things on their mind quite honestly (laughs) Oh, fandom, fandom exploding. <laughs> Here come the haters of Last Jedi and the haters of yeah. destruction of Game of Thrones to unite against one for trilogy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you know what? We'll probably really like these next three movies that they do. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm the only person I know who loved The Last Jedi. Was, no, 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 no. No? Did you like The Last <laughs> oh, Jedi? fuck yeah. That okay. was fantastic. Okay, good. I mean, I, there were some silly things in it, but I, I loved Wars. that they we're taking some chances and doing something a little different with the characters so now star wars always has some silly things in it it's yeah. just got some strange stuff now that was i i put that right around empire and stuff like that as far as taking star wars and doing something really new and interesting and different i'm glad to hear you say that yeah that's how i felt about it too uh speaking of crazy movies i have yes. watched some weird shit how different <laughs> Do you remember a little 1981-ish, 82 movie called The Beast Within? Oh, yeah. For Crypticon, <laughs> I wanted to rewatch this because I was on the Lovecraft Films You've Never Seen panel with uh, yeah. Gwen and Brian and Cody. And The Beast Within, it was written by Tom Holland, who would nice. go on to write Fright Night and a couple others we like. And it was based on Edward Levy's book. And the book I remember reading back then, and it is fucking creepy and scary. And it was kind of a werewolfy book. The movie... <laughs> it's not so much, no. <laughs> well, there's a really interesting thing in that Tom Holland gets a uh, story credit 
on top of his screenwriting credit. And they only do that when the writer has changed the story significantly enough that they can almost <laughs> not say it's based on this book anymore. And he turned the he turned the creature that, uh, well, it's about a woman who gets raped by something out in the woods and then 18 years later, her son starts changing oh, into okay. yeah, into what this thing is that raped her. Um, clearly, this has got a problematic premise. But well, yes. <laughs> yes. But it was a different time. He, Tom Holland, turned this creature into some kind of like cicada insect thing. And then this is the uh, the days of the bladder effects and everything. So there's a lot of faces <laughs> puffing, puffing up and doing all this stuff. Um, it's, it's very weird. I can't even say it's good, but it's it jumps into some weird Lovecraft territory. Yeah. In fact, that in the fact that one of the characters is named Dexter Ward, and <laughs> there are a couple other things there. The uh, the family that the kid is hunting down are the Kerwins and all this stuff. So there's a obvious nod to Lovecraft. Even yeah. if I mean, I guess you could say that this is kind of a uh, lurking fear knockoff. So oh, okay, uh, don't know if I can completely recommend it. The book though is still amazing and still <laughs> scary. So if, if that's anything you're interested in, then check that one out. Yeah, that qualifies as a weird one. Yeah, I watched one that uh, has sort of been all over the news. Well, all over in weird film sites, which uh, Chinese China's highest grossing film ever that Netflix just started. Yeah, picked up. How is that uh, called The Wandering Earth? I did a little bit while watching it. It's seventy two fifty nine critics and crowd on Rotten Tomatoes. $48 million budget made $691 million. Oh, okay. The director, Frank Guo, I think, and seven writers. Think back onto the Michael Bay's and Jerry Bruckheimer movies of the late 90s okay. and early 2000s. That is this movie. Oh, it is well. an absolute cookie cutter version of what they would do as an action movie, but not as well. Okay, so I guess I had heard all the reviews I had heard was that it was really boring. I, I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched oh, about okay. 20, about, well, probably 40 minutes of it before I realized huh? the concept is so wonderfully batshit crazy that I was hoping for a lot more. Yeah, and that me too. the wandering earth, in case people don't know, this is not a spoiler, it's the beginning of the goddamn movie. <laughs> they decide that the earth is coming to an end. I don't remember if the sun's exploding or whatever's going on. And somehow the world unites and builds thousands of engines. Right. And turns the Earth into a giant spaceship that's going to travel 2,500 years to a neighboring solar system that has the right kind of sun. I like it. And I'm like, wow, this is insane. Let's see how this works out. Yeah, it's a ridiculous premise. Yeah. I guess maybe it'd be better to say a Bruckheimer or Bay movie that's made now, where they made some pretty good entertaining stuff in the late 90s and early 2000s, but the last few years have been less so yeah there, it's just very cookie cutter it's very obvious oh here's the rebel he's got his girlfriend but he's gonna he's got to do something criminally but he's doing it for the right reason and just like i know exactly what this movie's going to be i'm good yeah <laughs> so um could i put this on while i'm folding laundry and stuff like that is it worth it looks fantastic yeah okay. so yeah it'd be good it'd be good for that because it is i mean it's cartoony almost because there's so much cgi it's uh well done that part of it looks fun yeah I, also i'm joking because i don't fold laundry it all just gets <laughs> thrown into a pile and i sift through it and figure out if there's anything clean in it that's yep nope. <laughs> <laughs> i watched a kind of cool movie that you'd probably be interested in and probably our listeners would be interested in called the headhunter just came out this year oh right i've seen the the visuals and stuff for that are quite spectacular it's a super low budget viking horror film and uh it's basically a revenge <laughs> movie it's it's got one main actor and shot through out a forest and he's just being attacked left and right by these creatures said that japanese versus or something like that that japanese film I, uh, 10 years ago or whatever oh, sort of man. like that 20 years 20 ago years? okay i don't know yeah <laughs> um, well that was the uh versus was the yakuza versus Zombies one is that the one you're thinking of? No, there's one where there's a guy in the woods and he just kept getting attacked by people. Oh, I don't know what that one was, <laughs> but this one the monsters are pretty cool looking in this. Oh, okay. it, it's got kind of, I mean, the monsters have kind of a Mandy feel to them almost. Oh, wow. Uh, but that's more because the Mandy creatures had some kind of weird Viking true kind of horror. This is very much a period piece, you know, set whenever the Vikings would have been roaming. I did, I failed history, so... <laughs> 
Um, but it's it's pretty impressive. Super, super low budget. Looks really cool, but just a really, really basic revenge story. Hmm. I'd say give it a try. I know that you would like it just because you, like me, are always wanting to see what people are doing with a very small budget yeah. on film. Yeah, definitely. Even the costume design looks yeah. insane. Well, and it... It is, but there's only one person they have to clothe. So well done. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's so. some good writing. <laughs> it's yeah, like I'm the right. uh, the whole thing where I wanted to do the uh, the period piece that was set in World War II, but it all takes oh. place in one room. You never have to go outside and see any right. things that would cost money <laughs> during that. So the a remake of Anne Frank. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Um, all right. I watched one of my first Vinegar Syndrome pickups from oh. Crypticon. Now, if you know Vinegar Syndrome at all, they release a very particular style of film. <laughs> How would you well, describe that kind of film? Well, they've got their adult film area, which I really haven't bought anything from. But then they've got their, they're so bad they're good. I was going to describe it exactly the same way. <laughs> yes. And they release a lot of wonderful, so bad they're good films and give them golden treatment with amazing remastering. Yeah, like just, Criterion Collection yeah. style releases <laughs> yep. on films that you're just like, wow, who loved this so much to That's do this? Right. Well, I watched the first one, Punk Vacation. I've never heard of this. Uh, it, well, it was kind of, they read like, uh, you know, he had the hillbilly horror thing we're doing here today. Right. And it, the back of the red, like rednecks versus punk. Uh-huh. Like, well, all right, let's see what this is about. It's really not. <laughs> it's sort of that. But uh, the, the Rotten Tomatoes is no score. Oh. And... 12. <laughs> 12 for the audience, I'm guessing. But that is one rating, actually. Ah. So it, on Rotten Tomatoes, this has exactly one rating. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's by the director. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave it a 12. <laughs> it came out in 1990, directed by Stanley Lewis. Uh, it's his only credit. The only thing he's done, film-wise. Had uh, writer Lance Smith, Smith and Harvey Richlison, which are the same kind of thing. Starring Roxanne Rogers, Lewis Walden, Walden, and one guy you do know, oh. Rob Garrison. Why do I know it's, him? It's a deep-cut name, so I'm not going to expect you to know the name. But if I was to say Body Bag, might you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> are you talking about the kid from The Karate, Karate kid, kid who screams, yes. Get him a body bag! <laughs> Tommy, the body bag guy from Karate Kid. Has is, that f- how he's, is that how he's credited in the film? <laughs> that would be good. Apparently his mother... Other as it's okay, it's kind of a fun movie, but I'm looking shit up while I'm reading it at that point. Apparently, his mother on more than one occasion has given him a body bag for his birthday. Wow, she got him a body bag. (laughs) Your mother's either really, really dark or really funny or some strange combination of both. She sounds fucking great to me. Yes, the storyline is a group of really badly cliched looking punks with um. You know, the, the very basics of what you can get, a little bit of streaking in the hair, sure, leather, sure. but Best. really bad looking versions Punk of us. 80s punks get ticked off. They're the villains. They take off and kill a uh, owner of a restaurant. No real particular reason, of course. Cops go after them. The cops, like, they have one ridiculously redneck cop who does the occasional tirades where I'm like, I don't know if you're trying to make him, if the writer of the movie was a real deep conservative thinker at the time and thought he was writing a guy as the hero and the punks were the villains or if he was trying to make the punks the heroes by being this guy so <laughs> over the top it's all these communists going after our, and it's like just like three or four speeches like that I'm like, don't know what you're going with for with this because he's not saying it in a way that I feel if you really hated communists you'd be going rah rah right. it sort of sounds like he's unhinged <laughs> so I'm like I don't know what you're going for this but it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> well, 1990, we had all kind of gotten away from that, except for the hardcore. Yeah. And I've got a little bit of the movie left, so I don't know if this is going to pay off. But the cop goes back and grabs a shotgun, says he forgot something, run back in the house and grabs two cucumbers. Oh, man. <laughs> I want oh, to know man. what the payoff for that is. <laughs> I'm hoping cucumber chucks. <laughs> I don't think this movie's that inventive. Well, otherwise, they're being inserted somewhere. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was fun. It's exact. The, if I'm going to watch a Vinegar Syndrome movie, I set my. You know, you got to set your expectations, and this one fulfills that. <laughs> well, and the other reason to be interested in these films is not necessarily for the film, but for all the bonuses, the interviews, mm, yeah. the behind-the-scenes stuff. So, have you watched any of that stuff yet? No, I'm, not I'm yet. Curious but- to see what you find out. Yeah, but they do have commentaries and some stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah, but <laughs> it's 
Yeah, it's weird. And a very strong lack of punk music, which is usually what you get too much of sometimes in a movie about punks. Like, okay, we've seen them at four concerts now. Let's get on with the story. Right. But nope, none of that. Oh, well. Yep. Uh, Anything else or should we take a break? Mm. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Well, it's a hillbilly bread for a sandwich treat made of oatmeal, corn flour, and crushed wheat. And sweet brand animal asses and honey. You get Granny's old fashioned bread for your money. Sharpening soya, sugar, and yeast. He'll be the makes a sandwich a feast. Nourishing too, that's what I said. He'll be the old fashioned bread. I say he'll be the, he'll be the, he'll be the old fashioned bread. It's cold awful. back and for this episode eric it was your choice you chose hillbilly horror which i, I was did. angry about when you chose <laughs> but i i thought you know it gave me a chance to watch a few things and i was like oh this was a good this was a good subgenre it, yeah it's a weird subgenre that's sort of i don't know if, i wouldn't say it's quite by the wayside but it probably had its peak on and off <laughs> i don't think it's ever had a, a hasn't ever had a zombie giant peak like or anything like no. that or vampires or anything but it's just sort of always kind of in the background every once in a while a really good one pops up and right well since you chose you get to go first all right well i went back and forth with a few different ones and watched a couple going well it's not as good as i remembered or well that's good but it's not really that hillbilly or it's not that stereotype not hillbilly enough that's right so i went with a i don't know if i necessarily call it a great movie but an entertaining film oh. the first wrong turn movie Are you all right? I'm so sorry. Yeah. I just found this tied to a tree back there. Somebody did this. Hello? We're lost. We're looking for a phone. Sweetheart? Baby, seriously, this isn't funny. this one coming out and thinking oh this is going to be terrible it looks awful and they go watch go well this is fun yeah this is the one with eliza dushku right yes yeah i I think i remember liking this quite a bit actually Mm -hmm. and being surprised that i did yeah exactly that's part of why i picked especially since it's spawned i misread the i thought you could only buy it i misread that you could rent it (laughs) you could buy it for So now you own it (laughs) you could buy it for 14.99 or i could buy the one through five blu-ray collection for 14.99 so i'm like Screw it. I'm going to just buy that. I got, so I have one through five now on Blu-ray. And it has extras too. The the extras are included. So it's like commentaries and making of things like that. It's like, eh, what the hell? Wow. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's rundown is 40 critics, 54 crowd, which I don't have much of an argument against. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah. Caught, the budget was approximately 12 million. And depending on where you may, you look, it either made 9 million or 28 million. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so I wonder like, if it made nine million domestically and twenty-eight, 28 million world. world. Yeah, because the, the the one that said twenty-eight didn't really have a distinction. 
Okay. It just said 28 million, so that's probably what it was. Who did anyone of note write or direct this? Directed by Rob Schmidt. Doesn't and, ring a bell. Uh, uh, written by Alan B. McClory, who was also involved with Wrong Turn 1 through 5, a HBO Spawn animated. Oh, okay. And <laughs> the first Left Behind movie. Oh, <laughs> it took a weird turn. Yeah, um, and also writer producer on Star Trek Discovery. Oh wow! Okay, so he definitely contributed to the quality of the film. Right, didn't write anything of note for Rob Schmidt, so I'm guessing nothing <laughs> struck me when I looked up his directing history. Right, old man Schmidt's boy. That's exactly that's how they refer to him in Hollywood. Exactly is starring Elijah Dusku, who you will know from Buffy as uh, Faith. Right, five by five. Weirdest friggin' saying, man. Desmond Sisto who is uh, Elton from the movie Clueless, sort of the bigger, oh. goofy guy. Um, Emmanuel, uh, here's a good one for me. <laughs> Shrikwai, C-H-R-Q-U-I. Shrikwai. I think that's probably how I pronounce it. Um, she was uh, the Eric's main interest, love interest in uh, the movie, or the show Entourage. Oh. And ha- everybody in this show, all the actors have like 50 plus credits at least. Sure. They're, and uh, Desmond Harrington was uh, Detective Quinn on Dexter. Oh, okay. So the acting is solid. Right. It's really good. Elijah is kind of pushing the faith envelope a little bit at times, but and then gets pulled back. So I think it works. She's, it worked fairly well. She's got kind of a hard look to her, and mm-hmm. so I think she's played that. I mean, I think she's beautiful, beautiful with a with an edge, edge. <laughs> and I think that she kind of plays that up in all of her roles. Yeah, and this this it doesn't reinvent the genre by any stretch of the imagination. It's like you know a guy driving to a job runs into a horrible traffic backup, so he takes a wrong turn. Oh, is that one? And goes okay. down and finds some guy in the woods to give directions and of course the guy's like yeah sure go that way like, hey aren't you supposed to warn him <laughs> so yeah there's the silly things that happen like in any kind of movie any teenagers in the woods movie where they I do some stuff do you but. remember where this takes place what state i think it's virginia or west virginia uh, yeah i think you're right and it has that amazing shot where it pulls up from the road and then just, you know, and I'm sure it's a digital shot, but it just shows hundreds and hundreds of square miles of forest right. and this little road going through it. And you realize that, well, there's still places left on earth like this where you have, you know, they're just nowhere near what we are used to. Reminds me of a story. Oh. Driving back from Idaho with Jamie. Jamie and I were driving back from Idaho. This would be the late 80s, early 90s, long time ago. And there are the Tri-Cities. There are three different cities. I can't remember the name of the one that, but I, this was before MapQuest or anything. So we we're actually running off of a map. And there's another city by the exact same name in Washington. And we end up driving to that one. And we're driving along. It's like, okay, this looks like it's going to become gravel and dirt road soon. I don't think we're in the right place. And we pull into this place. We drive by a picture in your mind. Most of the gas stations that have like that metal 7-up sign or some shit like that. We drive by that. I'm going, oh, this is uncomfortable. Yeah, what year is it? (laughs) So we drive a little bit further. And it looks like almost like a western town everything's built out of solid wood there's very little painting and there's very a lot of a little bit of staining two guys sitting in wheelchair in wheelchairs in rocking chairs on the porch to one side and the other side another kind of convenience store looking place like i think we should go in here and get a map at this time my hair was almost to my ass i do remember that and i had earring and jamie had earrings and we get out of the car and we, we, we should be quick about this. Right. What did the little inbred kid with the banjo think of you guys when you walked up? Sadly, they did not have oh, that. Okay. But the guys on the whittling on the, st- on the steps did stop to stare at us for a little while. Right. And walked in there and the guy behind the counter going, can I help you ladies? You need any help here? <laughs> so we just got in the car and turned around real quick and went back. But I gotta tell you, that drive up was really an interesting time. <laughs> Would you say that you guys made a wrong turn yeah Ta-da! luckily we didn't get you know cut up with razor blades or anything like that right well, <laughs> Anyways, well that was... back to the movie yeah but um the couple things it does you know like it it want when they first get into the the bandit with the, the house these guys live in they spend a way too much time look at this look at that look at this yeah there's <laughs> creepy crap here i get it and uh the one girl really has to use the restroom going you're in a forest man in that house my first thought is no i'm peeing in a forest because it was a really creepy <laughs> gross dirty place right way over the top yeah, yeah. 
in this Stan Wiss. they found a bunch of teeth or something yep. by this time? Yep. You don't just say, let's get out of let's here. Go. No, well, is that point where they find one person finds something that's obvious, like something in the refrigerator, another guy finds the teeth, and then, then that's when they drive up. So all that stuff happens at once. Uh, right. Before okay. then, it's just kind of creepy. And then they next level. Right. All at once. It's like, well, all right. Stan Winston was uh, involved with the effects and stuff. So the these are not regular looking people. They're no. really, really distorted and demented and creepy looking, sharp teeth and yeah. all kinds of weird shit. Yeah, they're cannibal, inbred mutants, basically. Yeah, cliche looking kind of, all right, we're just going to go extreme. I did like the use of a bow and arrow as a weapon. That's an utter underutilized weapon in the uh, hillbilly genre. Right, right. And then it ends with a really inventive ridiculous but cool chase through treetops oh yeah i forgot about that where they end up on top of a a ranger outpost for looking for forest fires and have to jump out of it for a reason and then chase through the woods for a good chunk like more than 10 minutes so the movie is like this is wild yeah so that's a truly unique scene and well worth checking out so i wonder why the audience score is so low on this one Oh, probably because, um, I don't know. I don't know if it falls into, I don't know if Hillbilly Horror falls into the same vein as Insensitivity as other oh. things do, yeah, but, but then, I couldn't think so. we weren't so. all about that. Um, well, no. I can't remember. This is a R-rated film? Yeah. Is, is it super gory? That points. It's not over the top. But Did this fall into that whole torture porn? No. No, okay. No, it's definitely, the violence is quick and brutal. And it's a couple times like, but it's there's not tons of it. Right. Well, it's kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's there's no blood in that movie. Right. And there's not a lot of people that get killed on screen. So it's I don't know if that's a I haven't seen enough what I would call hillbilly horror to know if that's a trope of the genre or if it just happens to be these two that I'm thinking of. Yeah. But it definitely has some blood. I I do remember liking this movie. Uh, Would you suggest I check it out again or just go with my memories? If nothing else, it's it's almost worth checking out again just to see the last 20 minutes. So, you know, if you just kind of want to fast forward to see the craziness of treetop running around, obvious, you know, the effects... Right. Kind of like, well, yeah, you're in a studio, but this is fun. <laughs> right. Huh. What did you have? Ah, well, I, you know, like I said, I was not not thrilled <laughs> with this subgenre because it's just, I don't, at least before I started doing some research into it, I didn't feel like there were enough good ones mm. to really warrant going through and making this a topic. But this is the whole point of this podcast is, That's you right. know, hey, maybe we bring me back to something that you'd forgotten about. So with that in mind, I chose the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. Hey, can you imagine the first people that crossed this desert? They didn't know where they were. Yeah, I can, because neither do we... Find a signal? No. They're like people or something living in those hills. A remake? Yes, I know. (laughs) From 2006. And I remember watching this movie when it came out and thinking, oh, this is better than the original. And rewatching it, I 100% agree with that. I do not like that original film, The Hills Have Eyes. I think it's cheap looking. I think Mm -hmm. it's poorly acted. I think it's really poorly directed. Uh, So what I'm talking about is directed by Alexandra Aja, who he directed a film called High Tension, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. But he also directed Horns. He directed Piranha 3D. It was written by Alexandra Aja based on Wes Craven's original script. He does some stuff with this that makes it, I think, a lot more interesting. And maybe because it's more topical for the times, stuff like that. Uh, But it stars Ted Levine, Kathleen Quinlan, Dan Byrne, Emily DeRaven. It had a budget 
of $15 million. Box office was $42 million wow. U.S., but $70 million worldwide. Jeez. Rotten Tomatoes, now the critics, did not like it. Gave it 51%. The audience also did not like it. Gave it 58%, <laughs> which kind of surprised me, except I think there's a couple of reasons for it. First of all, this is the one where it's got the poster of the girl yeah. whose face is on her side, and there's just a hand pressing her down. Right. And it says, the lucky ones die first. <laughs> and whenever a tagline like this comes along, I'm just like, you know, God damn it, Big Bob, last weekend, won the lottery. <laughs> and then we come out, we get attacked by mutants, and he dies first. That guy, so fucking lucky. I guess one way of looking at it. <laughs> sure. So it's a couple... Uh, who are on their 50th anniversary and they are driving through uh, the country and they are ta- dragging along their kids, uh, two daughters and a son, and the oldest daughter's husband and their baby, like a brand new infant, uh, in a you know kind of wild trailer that's uh, you know all the trappings and everything like that. And they get uh, waylaid out in the middle of the desert. Somebody has thrown out these uh, tire pop things, and, and they drive over at one hey, of those those strips. were in wrong turn as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is only three years after that, too. Oh, so okay. I can't remember if they used this in the original. I don't think they did. I don't did. think they did, no. But uh, the truck crashes and they have to figure out you know they're out in the middle of the desert because they have stopped at a gas station and this guy who runs the gas station helps the nuclear ravaged (laughs) mutants who live out in the forest by sending people to this dead end area and and then they're attacked they they get stuck out there the dad is an ex police detective i liked this a lot and he's um a super republican this is 2006 remember so he's super republican the wife's uh husband or the uh the daughter's husband is a super liberal liberal in the uh in the vein of uh dustin hoffman and straw dogs you know <laughs> and i think that's what they were going for in this is they because this guy with everything that starts happening he turns into this killing machine by right. the end they're yeah. a super liberal guy who doesn't want to touch guns or anything like that and i think you know they're making a point uh, like grant morrison did in uh batman's <laughs> killing joke you just need one bad day <laughs> To, to change your outlook right. on the world. And that's what happens in this. It's super tense. I mean, I, having seen this movie before and remembering that I thought it was really good, I was on the edge of my seat again watching yeah. this and maybe too tense. There were scenes that I was uh, I was finding myself getting really involved in and I ar- had already looked up the Rotten Tomatoes and I was wondering, you know, why do people not like this? Well, there's a scene where, you know, they're pointing a gun at this infant and yeah. uh, this, uh, this mutant is going to rape the mom of this infant and the way he's keeping her in control is by pointing this big huge pistol at her baby and I'm just like watching this going you know it was starting to make my headache quite honestly because my neck was so tight and I was like (laughs) this is super uncomfortable and so there's that kind of stuff and I think that maybe it was just a little too much for audiences Uh, and it, it falls into a little bit of the torture porny stuff but Whereas stuff with Hostel or any mm-hmm. of those kind of movies, the Saw movies, I just don't like seeing a saw cutting into human flesh right. and stuff like that. <laughs> this one was distasteful in a much more visceral way in that it was hurting my brain to think about the stuff that this family was going through. You know, the dad gets captured pretty quickly and gets crucified and lit on fire to create a diversion so that the other guys can go in and get the baby and rape the women. It is fucking hard to watch, man. Uh, It's super nihilistic film. (laughs) No shit. Jesus. Uh, Really creepy. So I guess I want to recommend this because I did think think it was really really well made but uh rather than get into the story anymore the trivia wes wanted and now wes craven very involved in this remake yeah Yeah, um he wanted to shoot at the same site as the original movie so when they go 
there to do some scouting, they find that there are a number of new condo developments. <laughs> and they're just like, well, well, shit, we can't do this. <laughs> it's kind of based on a true story that was set in medieval Scotland about an inbred Scottish clan oh, yeah. that was killing travelers and taking them and eating them. Well, that's part of what makes Wes Craven's film so interesting. A lot of the stuff he writes is something he's found. Yeah. Like, Freddy had a, a real origin right. to real world, and this one definitely had that. I don't think I want to know what Last House on the Left's oh, origin was. Um, yeah. Um, I did think it was interesting, though, when I was looking this up, I, and I read that particular piece of trivia, I was like, oh, yeah, you recommended to me a podcast called Lore a couple of years oh, yeah. ago, which I love. And that was one of the episodes of Lore was right. that whole story about the the Scottish clan that was killing and eating, eating. everybody. <laughs> and then the best one I liked is that uh, the service station at the beginning of the film that they stop in, which is just like you were talking about with your seven up <laughs> sign and all that right. stuff. Good thing you didn't stop there. <laughs> it's called Gas Haven. And it was named that particularly because oh, of Wes Craven. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be killed this week. Gore in this is super over the top. The uh, just like yeah. with Wrong Turn, the hillbillies are also super over the top, but they are over the top because they've got these deformities based on the fact that they were uh, victims of nuclear testing in the area. Wow. Um, there's a lot of underground cavern stuff going on. There's a very creepy test. Town, you know, any oh, town, right. USA, yes. yeah. with all these mannequins set up on swings and stuff like that. So that's creepy because you're just wandering through this town where it looks like nobody is living, but you can see all these mannequins standing. See these and, people. Yeah. Oh, oh, no. So really some really neat, creepy visuals in it. And the only reason that... I, I don't recommend it fully is because it's so fucking tense. It's, I haven't watched it since I originally saw it in the theater, but I did see it in the theater. <laughs> I remember going, this is because the first one's uncomfortable. Yeah. But the second one is uncomfortable and brutal and mean. It's just freaking mean. I remember, yeah, it is really, really mean-spirited. I remember in an interview, I think Mick Garris interviewed Alexandra Aja on his podcast, and they were talking about this film, and there was a scene that Aja had written in where um, the mutant family, they actually put an animal into a blender. And... Wes said, no, I, I refuse to let you do this. And Alexandra was like, what are you talking about? It, it's really no more over the top than any of this other stuff. And Wes is like, look, nobody's done that in a film before. And I don't want to be the reason that somebody does it in real life <laughs> because they've seen it in something like this. And I thought it was a, a really important way to look at some of the stuff, yeah, you know, I'm a kidding. responsible way to look at some of the stuff we put on <laughs> film, because that is kind of what starts happening. It can. Yeah. But man, that's a plus people. Well, there's that whole website. Does the dog die? Right. Wherever, you know, like you know, people react differently to when you take out an animal than when you take out a person. Yeah. Let me just put as a public service announcement. If you are going to watch this film and you have a problem with violence towards animals, there are <laughs> some really tough scenes to watch in this because yeah. there are, the family goes in with two German shepherds and comes out with one. So yeah, that's right. Anyway, um, that one's pretty badass, though, if I remember right. Yeah, well, both of them are. They're German Shepherds. Um, and I do like that the names of the German Shepherds are Beauty and the Beast. So. But uh, we wanted to then follow this up because one of the films you almost chose for this was High Tension. Yeah, it was another film, which the, I'm pretty sure is probably what led to him getting hired for it, Hell's Have It was exactly, yeah. Alexandre Aja directed that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, directed and wrote um, High Tension or Hot Tension. Or the really terrible, terrible name, Switchblade Sisters. I do not get that. Where where was it released under that? Someplace. I, I, one place I looked up High Tension, it showed up as Switchblade Sisters. Interesting. Instead, I'm like, terrible title, which doesn't fit the movie in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Now, uh, you didn't choose it because I, I think this is a brilliant film to watch. Once. Once. <laughs> yes. It has, man, uh, if you haven't watched High Tension, just stop listening for you know a few minutes because it's hard to talk about without and either even if I don't give away the ending or we don't say what the ending is the way we're 
ta- just talking about the film will lead you to realize, oh, this has some kind of a weird right. twist. Uh, halfway ending. through the film, you're going to figure it out if yeah. you hear us talking about it. Exactly. So, so, so give yourself a break for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Uh, and on a second viewing, that really hurts. It the falls film. apart. Even oh on a first v- on a first viewing, if you start thinking about it too much, you're like, well, how did that happen then? Yeah, it's <laughs> full. Unlike, okay, The Sixth Sense, you go back and you rewatch that and it all fits. All the stuff that the weird scene he has with the mom, the yeah. weird, they all fit. They all work. It's like, oh, he really didn't say anything in that scene yeah. or things like that. That does not work for this film. No. <laughs> the stuff that happens in the house holds up and the stuff that happens at the end holds up. But a lot of the stuff was like, well, well there are two uh, vehicles here. There's a car chase. <laughs> there's, yeah. And the, the only way that I could explain it, because I love the movie High Tension, yeah. um, the only way I can explain it is, well, okay, if it's if it's in her head, then this is what she's thinking yeah. is happening is all. And they kind of tried to portray that a little bit at the end where they switch her with the actor and she has a moment where she flips and she becomes the killer because of something and then she flips back. Yeah. And they and it's like, well that that works. I didn't have a problem with that. I thought that was really good. But there's just so many things in the middle that make you go the surprise ending kind of was a cheat because you didn't you, you didn't realize the rest of the world well enough to hold on to it. But I still remember watching it the first time. Yeah. And it is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you recommended it to me, actually. And I was like, really? Okay, this is not my kind of movie. And it was one of those ones that I was like, uh, this is the perfect title for this film because I was just, you know, strung tight after it. It is one of those ones where everything falls apart if you start thinking about it too yeah. much. And I feel like originally I was thinking, look, a couple of lines of dialogue or something like that, and we could have we could have gotten past this. And I I feel like he's an accomplished enough writer director that he said, yeah, but then I lose the tension. Yep. yep. I don't know how you would have done it and make it fully work. Yeah. Because you know, Sixth Sense is a, a slow drama that has horror elements. This is an action film almost, just but intense craziness. Uh, if, I think it's kind of probably the one that kicked off the French new wave of ultra because it's violent. Yeah. Holy crap, it's bloody as hell. <laughs> yeah, it is. But then, but nowhere near as bloody as some of the French films that follow, like Inside or Colbert. Probably, I would say that trend kind of ended with martyrs i was just gonna say martyrs yeah that's a brutal film yeah i don't like that film (laughs) not because it's not good that's the problem (laughs) so if you haven't seen it go see it yeah it's one that i do recommend uh once you once you start with any film you can start picking apart stuff but this one is really easy to pick apart that's right yes what might we be doing next time? Okay, so you've probably had a little more time to think about it than yeah, I and did. I and I and I picked something weird too. So let me try and explain this to you. I'm calling it anyone but the first. And so nice in this idea, this subgenre is you can pick a franchise, so Halloween or From Dust Till Dawn, anything like this. But the the point of this is you can pick that franchise, but you can't pick that first Halloween movie because that's a good movie. Right. <laughs> you can't pick the first From Dust Till Dawn to talk about because that's a good movie. I need you to pick one of the sequels and talk about that. All right. Okay. So I like this you, idea. If you're playing along at home, that's your uh, that's your role also is, you know, tell me how, how Hellseeker from the Hellraiser <laughs> movies is, is a good film. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> uh, in any case, hey, everybody, thank you so much for all the kind words, the letters, the reviews, and everything like that. We've been having a great time reading what you guys have been suggesting yeah. and, and watching some of those films and reading your lovely thoughts and, and messages, stuff like that. So find us on Facebook, yeah. Instagram. Don't forget to review us, even if, you know, it's a Please. weird review, just any anything on iTunes just to increases our visibility. Yeah, absolutely. So if you hate us, then don't say a word because then nobody will find out about us. <laughs> but if you even mildly like us, just say something. <laughs> That's right. We've got zero budget for our <laughs> advertising, so it's all about you guys That's telling right. people. We spend it all, all zero. Anyway, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and keep all the stuff coming on. We'll see you in, we've been trying to do this weekly now, so we'll see you in a week. You've got a week yep. to figure out a film that you like that's anyone but the first. See ya. See ya. Mm-hmm.